Amen. All right, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Before Pastor Nick comes up, um, just about seven verses in Luke 17 should be on the screen. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to them, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. Thank you, Mike. Uh, Yes, today is a good day. And uh, next Sunday, we begin the Easter week, really, with Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the day that we get together. Uh, I've put our order in for palm branches, so be aware that you might get whacked in the face with a palm branch, as often happens on Palm Sunday. So we'll have, uh, we'll have a great opportunity to gather together and worship the Lord uh, next week, and then uh, on Good Friday on Easter Sunday and on Saturday for our Easter egg hunt. So uh, again, just to echo what Mike said, if you haven't already and you would are free on Saturday to help out, we would love your help uh, as we welcome uh, the neighborhood and surrounding areas into our Easter egg hunt next Saturday morning. All right? Nailed it. Good job. Now today... Uh, we are continuing our series we're calling On the Road, which is, a, which is as we track the story of Jesus through Luke's gospel as he is on the road towards Jerusalem. Next week, Palm Sunday, he arrives in Jerusalem and is actually on the road into the city. But this week, we get one of the last, um, one of the last stories that, is, that Luke expressly tells us where Jesus is traveling. It's a travel narrative in Luke's gospel, and it's a really under, um, under-emphasized story in Luke's gospel. It's not one that I think is very familiar to most of us, but it's the story of Jesus and the ten lepers. Now today, in this, in this uh, account in Luke's gospel, Jesus is on the road moving towards Jerusalem, and he is traveling on the border of Samaria and Galilee. Now, if you were to look at a map of Israel in Jesus' day, Samaria was in a very precarious position. There were, pe- there were Jewish people above Samaria in Galilee, and then there was Jerusalem and a number of other uh, Jewish cities below Samaria. And so very often, in order to get anywhere, you kind of had to go around this region of Samaria. Of Samaria. As many of you are aware, the Samaritans were to the Jewish people a defiled people, a sacrilegious people, a people who were not deserving, really, of any good thing. I've told this story before, but there's a story from antiquity of a time that a, a, a band of Samaritans broke into the temple in Jerusalem and spread human bones all throughout the temple in Jerusalem as a way of defiling it, 
if you're familiar with the Hebrew law. And the way that the Jewish people responded to that is they went to their temple and they killed a bunch of people. So these are not people who agree or particularly like one another. And yet, Jesus is on the border between this land when he runs into ten leprous men. And they call out to him from far off. Now, leprosy in Jesus' day was not necessarily one single disease. There were numerous skin diseases uh, that, w- that could provide some type of visible harm on the skin. And in Jesus' day, if you had one of, these, one of these ailments, you were sent out into the wilderness. Not just because of the natural desire to protect people in a given town or village, but also because in the book of Leviticus, this was w- what was instructed that leprous people be cast out. Here's what we read in Leviticus 13, 45 through 46. Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkept, cover the lower part of their face. They were masked, just FYI. Uh, Unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. So this is what we see happening as Jesus is walking on the border between, uh, between Samaria and Galilee. Now, what has clearly happened is that these, uh, these leprous people, these people who are cast out, these unclean people who have been cast out of their cities or their communities or their villages, have not chosen to live all by themselves. In fact, in order to support and actually survive each other and actually survive, they have to band together, right, into a group of people. Because living in the desert alone is very, very difficult. You have a basically a 0% ch- chance of living. But if you band together, if you uh, create a little camp, as it were, you're able to survive. And so this group of leprous men are actually following the Old Testament law. When they don't come up to Jesus, they don't get close to him, but rather yell at him from afar. Uh, they, what do they yell? There they go. They go, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Have pity on us. Now, now, Jesus doesn't do something that he normally does. You see, in the Gospels, Jesus is always closing the distance between himself and sinners or himself and people who are in need of healing. But this time, what does Jesus do? He just calls out again. These are, this is just two groups of people yelling at each other in this story, okay? He calls out to them and says, go, present yourself to the priest, right? Show yourself to the priest. Now, in Jesus' day, the priest was responsible for... Uh, for determining whether a person was, cl- was healthy enough to enter back into society. So this would be like if you had a physical ailment and you had to come to me and I had to go like, great, go to work. It's not a job I want, okay? Just FYI. I'm a pastor, definitely not a doctor. But, uh, but in, in Jesus' day, these people were, um, they were to show themselves to the priests in order to see if they could return into society. And so what Jesus is saying to them, go. Show yourself to the priests and return back into society. Get your life back, as it were. Jesus is giving these men their very lives back. And so, the men go, no doubt, believing that they are going to receive their healing from Jesus. 
But the story continues and tells us that of all of these 10 men who received their healing from Jesus and go, went and presented themselves to the priest, only one person, only one guy, comes, comes back to Jesus to express his gratitude, his thanks. And that is the Samaritan. The one person within the Jewish imagination that was least likely to do something good is the one person who Luke emphasizes for us, comes back to Jesus and says, thank you. I'm grateful for what you've done. Now, this is something that Luke has been doing throughout his gospel, whether you think of it like recording the parable of the Good Samaritan that Jesus tells or other encounters that Jesus has with Samaritans. Luke is making a point here, isn't he? That it is the people who are least likely to not only acknowledge Jesus, but the least likely to receive in the Jewish mind to receive the blessing from Jesus that are actually the ones who are most willingly receiving that blessing and then responding with gratitude to God. Luke is telling us something here, not just about uh, the, this story, but also about the ministry of Jesus and the way in which he breaks down walls of division and the way in which the, the, the Jewish religious mind, in some sense, kept people from acknowledging who Jesus was. Yet all of these people who are down and out, who are, who are, um, who are despised even, are able to recognize and acknowledge Jesus for who he is. Of these ten men, that went to, to, went to the priest. It is certain that most of them, if not all of them, were Jewish. And, they pro- and I'm, I'm, sure, I'm certain that they did receive their healing, but only this one Samaritan turns around in humility and gratitude and acknowledges the source of his healing. And Jesus says, not to be mean, but to make his point, has only this foreigner returned to give me praise? Has only this foreigner returned to do this? It's almost as if Jesus is drawing attention to the fact that those who should have been the quickest to praise God were in fact the ones who have missed their opportunity. Similar to the passage from last, uh, excuse me, similar to other passages we've looked at, uh, to receive from Jesus is very often to be able to have the boldness to come to Jesus, but then to have the humility in order to humbly acknowledge the truth, the reality of who Jesus is and what he has done. So, what enabled the Samaritan to turn to Jesus? And what prevented the other Jewish lepers from turning to praise and acknowledge Jesus and to receive from Jesus the the fullness of the gift he actually wanted to give them? What is happening in this passage? The Samaritan leper is the only one who comes to acknowledge the fact of what Jesus actually did for him. Now, it seems obvious that if something profound or life-changing happened to you, so profound or life-changing as being healed from a terrible sickness, it would be easy to turn around with gratitude and return to the person who gave you such a gift and to essentially say thank you and, pr- and give them honor for what they've done. But let's be honest, right? It, it might not be quite as miraculous as, being, as receiving a physical healing, but when blessing happens to us, 
we struggle to be grateful also, don't we? Are any of you the type of person who, when God does a good thing in your life, you have trouble celebrating or giving thanks for it? I, uh, instead, you just kind of move on to the next thing. This is how great athletes tend to be, right? Tom Brady has a tough time being thankful for his Super Bowl, for his seven Super Bowl rings, which is why he went back to get another Super Bowl ring, right? If he, had, if he, if he was good at being grateful, he would just love retirement, right? But he doesn't want that. But here's the point. Oftentimes, you and I, both of us, struggle to see what God is doing in our lives because we struggle to cultivate a spirit of gratitude. In some cases, we might even be blind to the work of God in our lives because we are so preoccupied with the stuff that is wrong around us that we are unable or blinded to the ability to notice the ways in which God is present, is working, is blessing us. I will say this. I know this beyond a shadow of a doubt. God is working in your life. He is. God is working through this church. It just, it's just about our ability or willingness to see it. And the key to our ability, ability or willingness to see that work is to be grateful. The uh, one author, a guy named David Fleming, puts it this way. He says, sin is not breaking the law or, commi- or is not breaking of a law or a commandment as much as it is a lack of gratitude. If our hearts could truly grasp what God is doing for us, how could we sin? We would be too grateful to sin. You see, learning to cultivate this type of, this type of gratitude in our lives is a spiritual discipline. It's a spiritual practice that we have to cultivate. You know, science has shown us that gratitude is not, a, is not an emotion that comes naturally to human beings. In fact, uh, though gratitude is the, a key to human happiness, gratitude is not something we, do, we are particularly good at because our brains are in some sense wired to latch on to the negative. This is why so much of our news is negative, right? This is why the nightly news always leads with the headline that is not positive, because our brains are naturally wired to latch on to the negative, to, to kind of push away the positive. And so for people who struggle to be grateful, very often we've trained our brains to focus on, to latch on to the negative first and foremost, and we, and we then lean into that pessimistic side of, of our personalities. And it's no wonder in our day with a news cycle that is in, entirely pessimistic in so many ways that we deal with so many forms of mental health, anxieties, and, and difficulties. And it's no wonder we're so downcast because we think everything is horrible. Because we've been told that everything is horrible. And because we focus on the fact that everything and everyone is horrible, right? And yet, and yet, we are told that it is gratitude that is the key to our spiritual health. To our ability to see what is happening in our lives that is a gift from God. You see, if we give in to the cultural kind of turn 
the cultural kind of move churn, excuse me, the, the churn towards negativity, we will inherently be unable to see what it is that God is doing in our lives. Because we will be so blinded to it that we will be unable to give God praise and thanks for the goodness that he's brought our way. One particular author, Brene Brown, says it this way. She says, good luck can make us happy, but it cannot give us lasting joy. The root of joy is gratefulness. We tend to misunderstand the link between joy and gratefulness. We notice that joyful people are grateful and suppose that they are grateful for their joy. But the reverse is true. Their joy springs from gratefulness. If one has all the good luck in the world, but takes it for granted, it will not give one joy. Yet even bad luck will give joy to those who manage to be grateful for it. It's true, isn't it? It happens to be true. So, in this story of Jesus' healing of the ten lepers, the same healing is distributed to all ten men, but only the Samaritan was able to receive the fullness of Jesus' work in his life because only the Samaritan was able to express gratitude for the gift of his healing. Right? You see, we are called to cultivate joy in our lives. It's a fruit of the Spirit, in fact. But without without the ability to be grateful, without the, the willingness to be grateful for the gifts that we do have and the things that God is doing, we will miss what it is that God wants to do in our lives. So, two takeaways from this story of the ten lepers. First, true gratitude is only possible when you worship something uh, other than yourself. True gratitude is only possible when you worship something other than yourself. Now, in order to be truly grateful, the thing to which we are ascribing gratitude must be personal. It must be a personal being. You know, one of the things that you will hear people say sometimes is uh, when they are in, when they have had a beautiful experience, whether they fall in love, or whether they have a child, there is this desire within each of our individual hearts that kind of raises up to, to express gratitude and thanks to something or to someone. It's a natural human impulse. And yet, if, there, if at the center of the universe is not a personal being, then what are we saying thank you to, right? I try to teach my children to be grateful and to say thank you when they're given a gift, or uh, if they go over to someone's house and they have a meal and they, they say thank you, right? That's a kind and polite thing to do. You try to teach your kids manners and hope that it works out in the end. But, but I would never tell my children to say thank you to someone who did not exist, right? You see, part of the natural impulse of the human heart is this impulse towards gratitude, but if we don't think there is an all-loving, all-gracious being at the center of the universe, then what are we doing with that impulse, and why is it there? You see, to express gratitude for a mountain, to a mountain, for being a mountain is, that has no personhood is not gratitude. You see, gratitude is about expressing our hearts, our thankfulness of giving, of giving, uh, of giving adoration to something that is real and personal. 
You see, this is what we do. We give praise to God from whom all blessings flow. We express our gratitude and our love, and as a byproduct of that gratitude and love, joy floods into our lives. You see, if you can cultivate gratitude, joy is the natural byproduct. And so we learn that a belief in God helps us to kind of push the gratitude button in our lives because it gives us a it gives us a direction for this natural human inclination towards gratitude. And when we see it, and when we give thanks for who God is and what He has done and the fact that I am here at all, joy begins to bubble up in our hearts as the natural byproduct. You see, doom and gloom have no real place in the, in the framework of our faith. You see, the very breath you breathe is a gift from God. And when you breathe it in and out, every time can live in the midst of that gift that is God's sustaining love, His grace for each and every one of us. Life is not perfect. It can be difficult. But yet gratitude is the key for us to see what it is that God is actually doing in our lives. You see, the very fact that the fabric of the universe at this very moment is only cohering because the power of God is present in, through, and around it is a gift. We must simply cultivate the, an awareness of what God is doing. I have known too many people in my life from, who the, from, the, from my perspective on the outside, I can see what it is that God is doing in their lives, but they have like cultivated an imagination that is so negative and downcast that they can't see it. And they can't accept it as a gift from God. You see, each of you, regardless of who you are in this place, have received gifts from God. And until you're grateful for them, and turn you t until you turn them around into praise, they will never be the gifts God intended them to be. In the garden, right, when God gives, uh, when he gives boundaries to Adam and Eve's life, when he gives them all of these different trees to eat from, when he gives them a job and he gives them land to tend and he gives animals to Adam to name, what he wants there is for them to take the gift that he's given it, to work it, right, to use it, to put it to work, and then to turn it back into praise to him, right? This is the sole purpose of our lives, that it is the cyclical kind of process of God blessing us and then us uh, taking that blessing and uh, of putting it into action and then turning it around into praise to Him. But if we don't see the things that we have in our hands as a blessing, we will be unable to fulfill our purpose as a people who, who step into praise, who step into a place of gratitude. What do you have in your life that's beautiful? Can you Give God praise for that. If you can, then he will use it, right? If you can't, you might not see the thing he wants to use, and you'll let it pass by. You see, as we cultivate gratitude as a spiritual gift and as a spiritual discipline in our lives, we will learn to be used of God's Spirit in ways that are both simple and profound, to bring about the work of his kingdom in our very midst. But if we don't see our lives that way, 
if we can't cultivate gratitude in our hearts, then we will just let those opportunities pass us by. Now, this cultivation of gratitude in our lives is not a natural practice. It's not something that comes naturally to us. As I said earlier, it has been proven time and time again by psychologists in, in recent decades that the human mind tends towards the negative. In fact, it takes like two seconds for a negative thing to be like reached out and grabbed by your mind and locked in. Whereas it takes something like 10 times that amount of time for a positive experience or a positive encounter to be locked into your, to be locked into your mind. You know this to be true, right? When you get home from work, what do you focus on? All the bad stuff that happened to you, right? My children come home from school and, and I say, how was your day? And they say, it's not a good day. I say, why was it not a good day? I said, it didn't have what I wanted for lunch. And I say, I'm sorry about that. What, what good thing happened? Well, I got a good grade, and I got gum, and, you know, Johnny told me I was nice, and we played soccer, and they, had, they can have, like, a list of 15 positive things that happened to them in that day, but the one negative thing is the thing that their brain locks onto, right? That's true of all of us. Negative and positive things will happen in your day, but in order to cultivate a spirit of gratitude, we've got to latch on we got to discipline our minds in such a way as that we latch on to the blessing, right? And see that as the primary way in which the Spirit of God is speaking to us in the midst of our day. God will speak to us in our brokenness and in our hurt, yes. But, God's, uh, but the ability to cultivate gratitude is the ability to participate with God. And we have to cultivate it as a spiritual gift in our lives. If we don't go about the hard work of cultivating discipline in this discipline of gratitude in our lives, we will just miss it. And we will spend all of our days just lamenting the things that happen to us rather than seeing the beauty and the truth and the goodness of a God who created us and is working all things together for his good. We have to, we have to step into the spiritual discipline. If the band could come up, that'd be awesome. You see, this is one of the hardest things we can do to learn this discipline of gratitude rather than of pessimism. One of the things, and I've said this before, one of the ways in which I've tr- I try to cultivate this spirit of gratitude in my own life is by singing the doxology to myself. When I'm having a really negative day or my, my brain's in a bad spot, very often, for me, that comes about 2.30, right? We all have a lull in our energy at some point in the day. For me, it's about 2.30 in the afternoon. I have this lull in my energy. I have a difficult time organizing my thoughts. I kind of get my emotions, my emotions drop, and I struggle, right? I struggle to see this, that, that part of that particular day as a gift from God. What very often, just a simple practice that I, that, I, that I participate in with myself, it's a spiritual discipline. When my, when my emotions start to lag and I start to be frustrated at little things and I start to just, you know, go on one of those spirals, I begin to sing, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above the heavenly host. Praise him Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. 
and I just and I just sing it to myself until my heart wakes up. It sounds like a little bit of manipula uh, manipulation, maybe, of my own emotions, or some somehow inauthentic. But I don't think it is. I think it is just rightly aligning my heart with the reality of the universe. That all creatures, great and small, were created to give God praise and glory. And that until our hearts come into alignment with that truth or that reality, we are out of step with our created order. And we're simply bringing ourselves, our hearts, our emotions, our minds back into line with that truth. You see, the reality that all of our lives do flow from the goodness and grace of God that every good thing we have in our lives is a byproduct of his goodness. Creates space in our heart and opens us up to be vessels of his love and of his grace and of his. If you and I can't learn to cultivate this, we will never be people who spread his goodness and his grace and his love out into the world. Because we won't know what it is to come to him in, any of, in this way. And we won't learn what it is to give him praise and give him glory. You see, when it comes right down to it, when we practice gratitude, when we learn to praise God, even in our darkest moments, what we're doing is learning now in the present what in the future the scriptures tell us we will do for eternity. I'm conforming my life and my heart now into the person I was ultimately created to be. So that when Jesus returns and, and he becomes all in all and we are with him, the, the, that praise and that gratitude and that adoration become this natural thing to us, right, at that moment. But in the here and now, with life and all of its concerns, we have to practice it. And one of, for me, the most powerful ways that I have learned to practice this thankfulness, to practice this gratitude, to practice this praise, is to come to the table of communion. To remember what it is Christ did for you and for me. To remember that Jesus laid down his life for each and every one of us. To remember that he has given us all of the grace and all of himself so that we can live this life not by the, the changes of our emotions from moment to moment, but by his love and by his power and through his blood. You see, when we come to the table of communion, we are reminded that everything we have is a gift. Everything we have is a gift. And we can turn it around back into praise to him who gave it to us. Amen? Amen. So, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, the thing we're going to celebrate in just a couple nights, a couple, a couple Fridays, Jesus took bread, and when he had broken, he, uh, he gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And then after supper, he took the cup in the same way, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant of my blood. Take and drink it. Uh, 
take, excuse me, take and drink it. And, uh, and know that my body and my blood are for you. So, would you pray with me this morning? Father, we love you. And we remember, God, the, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for our sins. And we don't come to the table willy-nilly this morning. We don't come just as a kind of religious practice, but rather we come as an act of remembrance. As an act of remembrance that centers our minds and our hearts on you and in a spirit of gratitude that we would know and believe that everything we have streams from your love and from your grace. Jesus, this morning, would you help us as we come to the table to be a grateful people and to center our lives on you. We ask it all right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. The table's open. After we come and receive, uh, the band will sing and we can respond through uh, worship to him. And uh, as you receive, I would encourage you just find to meditate, not just on what's happening this afternoon, but on the gifts of God's grace that he's given you, that you, as we receive together, you would cultivate a heart of gratitude. Amen? Amen. The table is open. Let's come to the table to receive from the Lord.
Father, we love you. And we're so grateful for the gift of your son, Jesus. We don't take it for granted and we don't move quickly past it. Would you make our lives, God, in this place? Stories of your goodness. Would you turn each of our lives into a little picture, a little story, a little parable of your goodness and of your grace? Would you help us to not get bogged down by the petty frustrations of this life, but rather to focus on, to center our hearts, to discipline our thoughts and our minds on the goodness and grace of God that is always streaming to us in the person of Jesus? Would you help us to live in the midst of that blessing this week? And would, in our, in our moments of frustration, would it carry us? Would it carry us? In ways that are maybe even imperceptible to us, God. We pray that an abundance of your blessing and of your Holy Spirit would go with us today. That we would walk in your spirit. That we would walk in your gratitude to you. That we would walk in your love. Jesus, we love you. And we ask humbly that you would help us to love you more. And we pray it all in that name, in the name of Jesus. Amen, and amen, and amen. Well, it's the beginning of two very big weeks. So I would encourage you that as we as we near Palm Sunday and Good Friday and Easter in two weeks, that you would continue to work to cultivate gratitude in your hearts and a heart for Jesus. Because this day of Easter is, it's a tradition, right? But it's a tradition that's meant us to point to meant to point us to Jesus, and that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Amen. Amen. Would you go today in the grace and in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ? We'll see you.